This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Saturday, February 26th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. The U.S. and NATO deploy troops after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And what they're basically having right now is a full-fledged war right in their backyard. And the president makes a history-making nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court. For too long, our government, our courts, haven't looked like America. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. For the first time in most Americans' lifetimes, a major war has broken out in continental Europe, a nuclear power invading a neighboring nation in NATO's backyard. Russia's invasion of Ukraine late Wednesday here in Washington, early Thursday morning in Ukraine, ended weeks of diplomatic outreach and threatens a world order in place since the fall of the Soviet Union 30 years ago. At every step, we have shown the United States and our allies and partners are working in unison, which he hasn't been counting on, Mr. Putin. We're united in our support of Ukraine. We are united in our opposition to Russian aggression. And we're united in our resolve to defend our NATO alliance. President Biden and European allies have slapped sanctions on Russian banks, financial institutions, wealthy Russian elites, even President Putin and other high-ranking Russian government officials. In Friday, President Biden and his 29 NATO counterparts agreed to send thousands of troops to the alliance's eastern flank. Those member nations now on the border of this war in Ukraine and Russia's military. The Kremlin is trying to make NATO and the EU provide less support to our partners. So our collective answer must be more support. That's NATO's Secretary General Jens Soltenberg, who says a response force is being deployed for the first time. It includes troops and fighter jets. Fox News correspondent Greg Palcott is in London, has long covered NATO and conflict zones, including a recent reporting trip to Ukraine. We spoke Friday afternoon after NATO's announcement to talk about the alliance's moves and what it means for the U.S. military. Basically, the, the eastern flank of uh, NATO, that is the, the Baltic nations, uh, Poland, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, these are the countries closest to the action uh, with uh, what is happening in Ukraine. And what they're basically having right now is a full-fledged war right in their backyard. And this has got several concerned. Uh, in fact, the three Baltic countries, again, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland, uh, yesterday triggered a thing called Article 4 in NATO. Now, probably people, your listeners might know Article 5. Article right. 5 is if somebody gets attacked uh, in the NATO alliance, then the NATO alliance attacks back. It's only been used once. It was used in 9-11. NATO helped out the United States after those terror attacks. Article 4 is that a NATO country feels 
threatened by something happening nearby them by another country. And that was triggered by the three Baltic countries and uh, and Poland. And that's what was in consultation today. Uh, there was a, a summit of the, all the leaders uh, uh, remote uh, of the uh, NATO countries. That is, that is 30 countries, the United States and, and 29 others. And uh, they agreed, agreed to discuss this. And for uh, one of the first times to deploy a rapid response force to these uh, Eastern European countries, uh, it can total as many as 40,000. It won't be, we're told by uh, Secretary General Stoltenberg, won't be that much at this time, Jared. But that rapid response force would include American troops, no? You mean American troops? It would be all the all the allies getting involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been speaking to the folks that have been already putting troops there uh, close to the border with uh, Ukraine. For example, the 82nd Airborne has 3,000 troops uh, in next door Poland. Uh, there's a, there's a striker brigade. You know, those are those uh, APC like vehicles uh, that the troops use. Uh, a thousand of those soldiers are in Romania. So the United States is already bulking up and and sending more troops into Europe to back up what they're sending to the front line. But this is. This is all, Jared, really a a, a confidence-boosting measure by these countries that are nervous, concerned that there could be some spillover from the Ukraine fighting. That was going to be my next question. I mean, President Biden has made clear, NATO has made clear that this is not a military response to the Russian invasion, that there are not going to be NATO forces fighting in Ukraine. So this is really just to prepare in the event that that. You know what? That there's stray missiles, an accidental launch, something like that. Prepare for in the event that actually yes, the fighting goes over. Remember, you've got uh, Ukraine just north of that is Belarus, and mm-hmm. all of the NATO countries are right around this. Uh, these two countries and these two countries uh, are, are really the key scene, along with Russia, for the fighting that we've been seeing. In, in the last couple of days, I mean, uh, I, we sat in remotely on the press conference with uh, NATO Secretary General uh, Stoltenberg today, and he was very concerned about what has happened. He called this the, the gravest security situation uh, for Europe in, in a generation. I mean, he's reaching back way deep into the Cold War, you know, many, many decades. And uh, I, I've been speaking with him and other journalists have over the past uh, couple of months, and I've, I've never seen him n- more determined, and I've never seen uh, the alliance pulling closer together, uh, in uh, re- at least in recent memory. And in many ways, that is sort of uh, counter to what I think the Russian president had been aiming for, is it not? I mean, he, he was looking for any sort of cracks in the alliance. Exactly. That, that's what he was counting on, Jared. And it's ironic that it's actually blowing up in his face, not to, not to use a warlike metaphor, but uh, that's exactly what is happening. Uh, his demands, Putin, the Russian President Vladimir Putin's demands, are or that uh, Ukraine never goes into uh, NATO. No other ex-Soviet uh, country goes into NATO. And that NATO even pushes back out of these Eastern European countries that used to be in the sphere of the Soviet Union. What he wants to do is recreate a new sphere of influence. And he's basically trying to turn back the hands of time. And uh, that's not working. Uh, NATO is saying, no way, you can't tell us 
You can't tell the, any specific country who it is allied with and who it is, and with what it decides to defend itself with. And, and uh, again, it's going counter to what uh, uh, Putin had in mind. Is there concern from the NATO Secretary General at this point that the Russian military could turn its attention to a NATO country, Latvia, Lithuania, one of those former Soviet uh, republics now a member of NATO? That is certainly the worry. That is certainly the concern. I think uh, Putin right now has his hands full uh, uh, taking over uh, Ukraine. I mean, reports today are that the Ukrainian forces, and this was backed up, in fact, in comments made today by the Secretary General, that while vastly outnumbered, the Ukrainian soldiers are brave and courageous, and they're putting up more of a fight, it's believed, than Moscow thought there would be, which is not to say I tried to press the NATO Secretary General today and whether he would say that the inevitability, however, is that Russia will win. He, he didn't commit to that. He says it's fluid. It, it's, it's, it's out there. But again, he said there are a lot of variables. And one variable is that it crosses over the border and goes into another country where, that could absolutely trigger Article 5. And Article 5, again, is that uh, is that measure within the NATO Constitution, within the NATO Charter, that says you've got to attack the person who's who's attacking your ally. As it relates to Article 5, there have been some questions here at the White House. I'm curious if there have been discussions at NATO uh, about cyberspace, the capabilities for some sort of cyber attack on critical infrastructure of a NATO country. Would that be viewed in NATO, in the alliance, as an attack that would be worthy of an Article 5 declaration? That's a very good question, Jared. And in fact, it was brought up at today's uh, briefing with uh, uh, NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg. And, you know, that that gets into a gray area because Mm -hmm. uh, we all know most of your listeners have been cyber hacked one time or another. And it's not necessarily a a full-blown war. And frankly, he skirted the question. But he did say, in fact, that this is an area that NATO is concentrating on. But a cyber attack by Russia on, for example, Poland, would that trigger a military response? I, he did not go that far, and I don't think anybody would go that far at this point. Might it trigger a cyber response? Well, that's, that's being already talked about in, in, in Washington circles, so that, that, that might be a way to you know, counterattack uh, in, in a different format against Russia. But right now they're skirting that issue, Jared. Yeah, at the White House, I believe the press secretary's phrase was there would be a response that could be seen or unseen, um, which often, I suppose, is how cyberspace works. Yeah. Let me finish with this, Greg, because I know we're, we're speaking now, you're in London, but you have spent quite a bit of time in conflict zones and, and most recently in Ukraine. Um, you know, what, what did you learn on your latest reporting trip to Kiev to Ukraine uh, about the Ukrainian people, uh, about the ability to sort of withstand now what they are dealing with with this Russian attack? Yeah, we were there for a couple of weeks last month, and that's when it was beginning to ramp up. It wasn't a, a definite, Jared, that uh, Russia was going to invade, but uh, it certainly was looming. And the one thing that I heard, the one thing that uh, really uh, w- was impressed on me is the determination of the Ukrainian people to stand up for their country. The, the, uh, the anger that some other country would dictate 
how it runs its affairs and the absolute uh, uh, full feeling that if there was any kind of invasion, there would be support from all the people for the military of Ukraine, even though it's vastly out outnumbered by the Russian forces to counterattack. And so I just got a, a message from one of my contacts there today in Ukraine. And, and, you know, he had heard my question of Secretary General Stoltenberg about maybe Kiev falling in the next couple of days. And his word was determined and his word was definite. No way. It's not going to fall in the next couple of days. But the inevitability, that certainly is out there, Jared. We're seeing the, the images out there and, and the dangers that persist for everybody. I, I appreciate your reporting, your courage in the reporting to go to these conflict zones as well. Uh, we'll continue to be in touch. And thank you for the explanation on NATO Article 4 and, and what this could mean for, obviously, U.S. policymakers moving forward. Greg, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Jerry. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Two years to the day that President Biden, then a candidate, pledged to nominate a black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court, he made good on that campaign promise. For too long, our government, our courts haven't looked like America. And I believe it's time that we have a court that reflects the full talents and greatness of our nation with a nominee of extraordinary qualifications. And that we inspire all young people to believe that they can one day serve their country at the highest level. The president says Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson does just that. The 51-year-old jurist is a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. She spent a decade on a federal district court bench, served on the U.S. Sentencing Commission, and was once a law clerk for the justice she could succeed, Stephen Breyer. Justice Breyer, the members of the Senate will decide if I fill your seat, but please know that I could never fill your shoes. If confirmed, Jackson would be just the third black justice ever on the court. She would join Clarence Thomas on the bench and would join three other women on the court, marking the first time four women served at the Supreme Court at the same time. Fox News chief legal affairs correspondent and Fox News at night anchor Shannon Bream says there are other lines on Judge Jackson's resume that would bring new views to the court and could raise some questions from senators. She has the sterling resume. I mean, Harvard undergrad and law, both with honors. She clerked for Justice Breyer, the man she now very humbly says, that, you know, she hopes to follow in his footsteps. Um, she's worked as a federal public defender. She has defended uh, pro bono some of the detainees at Guantanamo Bay. She sat on the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Um, she's married to someone she met at Harvard. He's a surgeon. They've got two daughters. Um, she's just got one of those resumes that, you know, if you were going for the Supreme Court and aiming for that, this is the resume you'd want to have. Well, now you tell me. <laughs> it's too late for us, Jared. <laughs> um, you know, I, I am curious about some of those uh, lines on her resume, uh, because, you know, those are unique, too. Right. Being a 
former uh, public defender. Uh, is that a, I don't think we've, we've had a Supreme Court justice with that on their resume, have we? I mean, not that I can recall in recent years. Yeah. It is definitely something that gives her unique perspective. Um, and I think that that's a good thing for a Supreme Court nominee. We want somebody who has seen different parts of life. And, um, you know, the criticism is going to be there from those who had other contenders in the race that, you know, it's just another Ivy League attorney. But she does mm-hmm. have some different things in her background. Um, and I think she uh, gets praise from all sides. She has detractors, of course, and critics like any nominee will have. Um, but she's got a lot of people in her corner and some very interesting things in her life story. One of the criticisms I know that has come out is simply the fact that she's only been on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals for, what, about a year. Um, Has not written a lot of opinions, obviously, in in just one year. Um, Is that unusual? I know the D.C. Circuit Court is is often a stepping stone to the Supreme Court, but is length of service a factor in, in sort of how the Senate and how others may sort of view this nominee? It's possible, but she had 10 years almost as a district court judge. Mm. So we have, uh, you know, a long record on her writing back from that perspective. And you think about it, I mean, like Justice Kagan was not some federal judge forever. She was in academia and doing other things, Solicitor General's office. I mean, you know, so I think that you can come at this with um, different uh, background. You don't necessarily have to be a federal judge forever. And she's got many more years than others who were being considered and, and some who are sitting on the Supreme Court bench now. So I think for senators, it's frustrating in that they want to be able to parse as much as they can out of those writings. And the higher level that they're at, whether it's, you know, at the D.C. Circuit or one of the other appellate circuits, it gives them a lot more material to mine for where they think she'll go on different topics. Um, but I think you there are, there's a lot out there that you could mine from her background to look at those district court years um, and some of the other things that she signed on to, groups that she's been a part of. I think a lot of that paints a full picture of, of the kind of justice she might be. What do you know about her demeanor, uh, about sort of her personality on the bench and, and how that may translate to uh, to these uh, confirmation hearings that, that should begin here in the, in the next few weeks? We have all indications in that she is generally a consensus builder. She is not a fiery, heated, um, controversial kind of um, judge who goes at her colleagues, that kind of thing. That's We've never heard that about her. We've heard that she does want to, to reason her way to something she finds could be a consensus if possible. So that's something, honestly, I think every president wants to consider in putting someone on the, on the federal bench, the Supreme Court bench, especially because you need someone who can be persuasive. You want somebody who's not necessarily a flamethrower, whatever their um, judicial philosophy is. You want somebody who can bring others on board because you I know after they hear a case that first Friday, they vote. And then from there, it's really off to the races because if you are assigned to write one of the opinions or working on something, you want to be able to persuade somebody who may be persuadable at that point to come over to your side, to join your vote. Um, And so I think that is a big part. The temperament part of it is a big deal for presidents when they're looking at somebody for the Supreme Court. They need to have somebody who can be um, build relationships, build bridges and try to be persuasive. If she is confirmed, um, it will be the fourth woman to sit on the Supreme Court. That's the most women ever uh, at one time on the U.S. Supreme Court. What, is, what does that moment mean just sort of in, in jurisprudence? I mean, you're a law school graduate. It's, uh, I think, for a long time been viewed as maybe a male-dominated field. Mm-hmm. I think now the numbers have flipped. I think there are more females uh, going into and graduating from law school. So that's certainly the field has certainly evened out. Um, I think it's really interesting because for a long time, there were um, 
you know, several females, but all on the liberal wing of the bench, if we want to look at it that way by, Mm -hmm. you know, appointment by Republican or Democrat. Then we had Justice Barrett join the court who clearly most of the time votes on the other side with a conservative wing. Um, So it's sort of like uh, Justices Kagan and Sotomayor will have a new uh, colleague who brings something different, who is historic in nature, but is certainly going to line up with them on most issues, I would say, is a good guess. Um, right. But yeah, I think that the I think the bench is starting to have a more representative view of, you know, gender wise, how the legal field is made up now. Are there any what what are the, the, the issues that and it's hard to predict, obviously, but, you know, she's 51 years old. So if she is confirmed, would be on the bench for, for quite some time, you would think, um, you know, what are the issues that, that are going to be, you know, on her plate if she's confirmed sort of in the early part of this term. Uh, I know that there are big cases this term over abortion and and some Mm -hmm. uh, religious freedom as it relates to LGBTQ issues. Um, You know, what's the future of the Supreme Court look like? And how does that play into perhaps the questions that senators are going to want answered? I do think that the religious freedom issue is going to be one that will still be in the spotlight. We've got uh, the Coach Kennedy case, the football coach out of Washington State who lost his job over some back and forth with um, his administrators and his decision to pray on the field after the football games. There were concerns from some that students were involved. Were they, you know, persuaded? Was he acting as a, as a, you know, public school teacher, as a voice of the government or of the school board? So that debate's going to be heard. Um, they've also, you know, decided that they want to take up this case of the graphic designer, the website designer of a woman mm-hmm. who um, has deeply held religious beliefs and says, you know, I'm happy to do work, but I'm not going to do it specifically for a same sex wedding or something else that is in conflict with my religious views. So I think that that's definitely an issue that the court is going to be um, focused on in the, in the next term. And so I think that you'll, you'll probably see a lot of questions for her on that. And it's interesting because she passed through the Senate last year pretty easily on a party line vote, but did get three Republicans. One of them, Senator Lisa Murkowski, is already out with a statement saying, just because I voted for last time doesn't mean I'm going to vote for her this time. The Supreme Court's different. And even Joe Manchin, his statement he had out today said, I take this very seriously. I'm going to meet with her and vet her. I look forward to that. But I take my role to, you know, advise and consent that whole, you know, Senate role. I take it very seriously. And I'm not just going to be a rubber stamp vote. So, I think she's going to get a full vetting. I think in the end, she ends up getting at least one or two Republican votes, mm-hmm. and um, it's not going to be a tiebreaker situation. You know, Justice, uh, Justice uh, Senator uh, Graham was one that voted for her as well uh, about mm-hmm. a year ago, and his statement uh, was, um, you mean, I don't know if you would know it from the statement he put out, saying <laughs> right. the sort of the president uh, bowing to the, to the uh, radical left, and how much of that is just him maybe being a little disappointed that uh, just uh, Judge uh, Michelle Childs from mm-hmm. the great state of South Carolina w- was not the nominee? I definitely think he has some disappointment over that because she was somebody that was championed by both Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a rare uh, moment out of South Carolina uh, or, and really out of the country right now to have Democrats and Republicans united on something. But the lawmakers in her home state were definitely um, advocating for her and pulling for her and uh, Congressman James Clyburn had for a long time. I mean, he he's the one who mm. made the difference, um, we all think, for President Biden in that right. South Carolina primary and, and got him to stand up on, on the stage and make this vow that he would make this historic choice uh, of the first African-American woman to be nominated to the court. So 
I think Graham is a little bit disappointed. Um, you saw in Senator Tim Scott's uh, statement as well that he, hey, I'm going to give Ju- Judge Jackson a full vetting. I look forward to this. But he actually included in his statement also, gosh, Judge Michelle Childs would have been great. So, um, <laughs> you know, he's a little awkward for Judge Jackson. Um, but, you know, you think back about um, someone even like Justice Kavanaugh. He had passed through the Senate um, to become Judge Kavanaugh to be on the federal bench. But there were a number of people who said, oh, it's different when they come back for a Supreme Court confirmation. Um, it's a whole new ball game." And so I think, you know, you've got some Republican senators saying the same thing about Judge Jackson. But I, I, at the end of the day, I think that she's going to get through relatively unscathed. That's for a few reasons, I imagine. Right. One, I mean, the the makeup of the Senate is what it is. Uh, The other is this isn't going to to change. We don't believe the balance of the court in Mm -hmm. any way. Right. And so I think that they have to choose their battles. It's a it's a midterm election year, too. And I think mm-hmm. that the everybody is very well aware of the optics. This is somebody who has the potential to make history. She's already made history as the first African-American female nominee, but could be the first African-American female to take the Supreme Court bench. So I think you you have to measure. Listen, if you have serious concerns about her jurisprudence, her ability to do the job or the qualifications as a senator, it's your duty to raise those issues. But listen, if you think, hey, she's she's eminently qualified you know, elections have consequences. This is the president's pick. Um, You vote for her and you don't let it get personal or ugly, as I think both sides hopefully by now are a little bit tired of. And we can just look at somebody on their value, on their merits and decide whether they're a fit for the court. Well, you and I have covered the last uh, few Supreme Court Mm -hmm. nominations and confirmation hearings. This one may be a little gentler than, than some of the priors. We'll Let's see. Hope so. A little tamer. We'll have uh, those conversations as we get closer to uh, those hearings. Shannon Bream, uh, appreciate the time as always. Great to be with you, Jared. Before we end today, I wanted to share one more story told by Katya Demidova. She lives in Los Angeles, but her brother, his wife, and the couple's five- and six-year-old children are still in Ukraine. Demidova relayed her family's experience to my colleague, Jessica Rosenthal. The news came last night um, because um, everybody, pretty much everybody who I know, started hearing explosions. um, And explosions were seen from people like windows and stuff. Um, And... I haven't talked to them like during the night much, but early in the morning around five o'clock today, um, they told us that they had to um, go into the shelter um, underneath their building, <clears throat> and it's like a it's a condo complex. Um, so, and it's not really like a bomb shelter. Um, I know everybody thinks that Ukraine has this underground world with subways and everything, which is true, but it's not really a shelter. Shelter is just a like unequipped rooms um, underneath the buildings, like filled with sewage and rats and all kinds of stuff. Um, And there's like exposed wires there. So, and then when they, so my brother had to go and get gas, but it's pretty much impossible to do it right now. So he was lucky. He stood in line for several hours um, and got gas and then um, went back. And I think at some point, so they were told the sirens started uh, sounding and then they heard the fighter jets and then they had to go back, um, uh, go down. And, uh, I think they're back now in the, in the condo and we're trying to figure out, um, what to do because there's tra- crazy traffic jams everywhere. Um, 
some, I mean, airports are obviously closed, and so we're trying to figure out what's the next step. But when when they the sirens started to sound, um, they when they were going down to the shelter, the kids wanted to take the elevator, and um, my brother's wife pulled them from the elevator, and they started going down the stairs. The fighter jet literally flew on the level of the building. Oh. Not above them, on the level of the building, which I don't even know how that is possible. Um, but she said that when you go down, like there's a window that you can see things from, and um, they they saw it and they heard it, and the whole building shook, and that's when they started just running downstairs. Um, I don't know. I don't know what we we're prepared to to do. Um, I'm ready to welcome them here, but how do we do this? Um, right. My brother's son's passport is expired, and um, they do have visas, but they're promising to give the passport back this week so that means they might have to stay behind. Just one of the countless stories of fear, chaos, and resilience in Ukraine this week after that country was plunged into a state of war. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, we will discuss the sanctions imposed and the geopolitical fallout of the Russian invasion. We'll also preview President Biden's upcoming State of the Union address. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.